All right, it's, it's been quite a while, but here we are in lesson 27 now in Falling from Grace. In all of our studies, we've been focusing on trying to discover the nature of God's role and man's role in salvation, in gaining salvation. How does man gain salvation? Is it by God's grace and God's work alone, or does man contribute to the process by his independent free will choice of God? And as you know, well by now, Calvinism and Arminianism give opposite answers to that question. To the Calvinist, man gains salvation by the pure grace of God. God is sovereign over salvation from beginning to end. In other words, salvation is up to the will of God. It's up to God's will. The Arminian, though, to him, man gains salvation by God's grace. But man must choose to receive that grace. And so really the deciding factor in salvation is man's free will choice. In other words, man is saved based on the will of man. The deciding factor in salvation is man's will in the system of Arminianism. And we've explored these two different positions for quite some time, more than we need to cover right now. But we're approaching this final major subject in this study, which is not about gaining salvation. Now we're into keeping salvation, maintaining salvation. And here it's not surprising to find that both sides line up exactly as you would expect. It's like two rows of dominoes in opposite directions, and they've all fallen, but the last one, and we're going to find out the last dominoes fall right where you would expect them to fall for both of these systems. When it comes to this final subject, they both go right as you would expect. And we've done so much groundwork that this final subject should fall right into place without too much extra effort. And this final subject, like I said, it's all about keeping your salvation. And one of the terms for this is the perseverance of the saints. You heard that before, the perseverance of the saints. On the Calvinistic side, this term, it represents the last letter in the acronym of TULIP, which we've been using to broadly outline the study on the doctrines of grace. There's a logical outline or flow to these five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. It starts with T, total depravity, which builds the foundation for man's need. Given the completely fallen and lost condition of man, he requires special intervention if he's to be saved. Left on his own, man would never choose God. He lacks the will and the ability to choose God and to come to Christ. God must intervene because of total depravity. And so God does so with a plan of salvation to redeem his people. And this begins with election in eternity past. This is an unconditional election, that's the you, where God set his special love on people before the foundation of the world, not based on anything in them, but simply per his good will. Now, if God's going to save his elect people, though, he has to do something about their sin problem. He has to answer their sin problem. And God does so that by providing atonement, atonement for their sins through the sacrifice of his son. But we found this is a limited atonement. That's the L. Or better yet, a particular atonement where God sent his son Jesus to be an actual substitute sacrifice for sinners bearing the wrath for his people. Now, the atonement was a one-time event. But in real time, God must call and draw people to himself, the elect to himself. And so this is done through irresistible grace. That's the I in TULIP, irresistible grace, which is a special, saving, sovereign grace 
that effectually brings people to new life in Christ. So you put all that together, and that's how sinners gain salvation. The first four points are all about how sinners gain salvation. It's through the calling and choosing of God. And he gets the glory because it's purely his gift of salvation from start to finish. And once this salvation is given, we'll find it's only natural that it can't be lost. If it is up to God's will, it it can't be lost. And that's the nature of this fifth point, the P, which is perseverance of the saints. The last one is all about keeping salvation. The final issue really boils down to will. If salvation is by the will of God, then salvation can never be lost. If God willed our salvation to begin with in eternity past, which he did, we learned that in our study in election, and if God doesn't change his mind, which he doesn't, then our salvation is secure. God saved us unconditionally, so he will keep us unconditionally. This is not to say that we are not required to persevere. We are. But it's only the preserving power of God that enables us to persevere, as we will find. So in short, Calvinism teaches that God will sovereignly preserve his elect people for all time. And we'll we'll see that more, actually, next week. However, on the flip side, if salvation is ultimately up to the will of man, if the will of man is the deciding factor on who gets saved, well, then salvation can be lost. Because man's will, unlike God's, is fickle and can change. If man had the ability to will himself into salvation, and if he retains that same libertine free will after salvation, then man is able to will himself out of salvation at any time. Man brought himself into the grace of God, he can take himself out. And this is precisely the teaching of Arminianism that with man, man's will being the deciding factor in who gets saved and who doesn't, that man can fall from grace at any time based on his will. When he becomes unwilling to follow Christ any longer, he falls from grace and loses the gift of salvation. And so in this lesson tonight, we're going to begin by seeing what Scripture has to say about the security of the believer, the eternal security, or lack thereof, Can a person lose his salvation or not? We're going to find out tonight, mostly looking at the Arminian side of this debate, which they would call falling from grace, that salvation can be lost. We'll survey what they believe, why they believe it, and why we don't, what the problems we see with that. And the next week, we'll really get into the Calvinistic side, which is preservation plus perseverance put together. Okay, so now let's get into conditional Perseverance, which might be another way of describing what Arminians believe about security. They do hold to a form of perseverance, uh, perseverance rather, that believers will persevere, but it's conditional. They believe that some people can and will persevere in the faith and to, to the end and be saved. But there's a real possibility of apostasy at any time among any true believer. Any Christian can, at any time, fall away from the faith and lose their salvation. Again, this position centers on man's will. If faith is up to man's will, continuing in the faith is also up to man's will. If a person becomes no longer willing to believe, 
If they abandon the faith, they will fall from grace. And thereafter, they have to be resaved to get into heaven. They have to have a fresh experience of conversion and be saved all over again to get into heaven. Otherwise, they will perish in hell. Arminians also teach that there are some serious sins which make shipwreck of faith and also forfeit salvation. They point to David's sins and Peter's sins, and they make the claim that if David and Peter had died in those moments of their egregious sins, where they had, in effect, turned from the faith based on their actions, that they would have gone to hell, that they had forfeited their salvation in that, in that moment. Now, there's some serious implications to the Arminian doctrine that true believers can lose their salvation. Here's how salvation works for the Arminian. You have a sinner who first responds to prevenient grace. Remember, they're depraved, but God gives everyone the same grace, prevenient grace, universal, that erases the effects of the fall. So now a person of their own free will chooses to believe in Christ. Okay, so then they are saved. They gain salvation. After someone makes that free will choice, God then responds and gets things going. He gives them regeneration. He makes them born again. He brings them to new life. God also gives them justification where he declares them not guilty of all their sins and perfectly righteous in Christ. And then God also begins to sanctify the sinner through the Holy Spirit where they bear more of the image of Christ throughout life. These are all the effects of salvation, which I trust you understand. But according to Arminian doctrine, they can all be undone. All of these can be undone. If the believer falls into egregious sins or chooses to fall away from the faith, conversion, regeneration, justification, and sanctification are all lost. They're all undone in your soul. They're erased. The person goes from being a child of God back to being a child of perdition. The person is retransferred out of the kingdom of light and you're kicked back into the kingdom of darkness. You've lost, you've forfeited the gift of salvation. And if such a person were to go to heaven, they would need to be saved all over again. They'd have to repeat that process of, of their will, choosing Christ again. They'd be reconverted, re-regenerated, re-justified, and sanctification would begin anew. Now, both Arminius and his followers wrestled with this and the issue of eternal, eternal security because that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. That doesn't seem right. And they even understood that on, on kind of face value. Like, is that really true? Like, you, you can lose justification. You can be born again, but then you die again. You, you, you spiritually kill yourself, basically. Is that, is that true? But at the same time, they understood the logic of the, own, of the system that they had created necessarily leads them to that conclusion. It's really an unavoidable conclusion of Arminianism that you can lose your salvation because it's all centered on man's will. It's not about God's will. So we can't count on his will to keep us in the faith no matter what. He doesn't override our will. He's a, he he you know, steps back and respects our free will. It's up to us. To, to, to enter salvation, it's up to us to stay in salvation. You know, the, this issue of falling from grace, it really is the last domino in the system. And they wrestled with it, but eventually succumbed to it because you'd have to get rid of the whole system to keep, the, to keep eternal security, and they weren't willing to do that. You see, all of 
all aspects of salvation in Arminianism are conditioned on man's free will choice. It's all conditional. We've learned that, but this will be a quick little recap that hopefully will seal it in your mind. You know, libertine free will, it's the deciding factor in salvation, and it's the chief operating principle behind Arminianism. That's, that's at the top, maintaining man's ultimate essential free will. And this view, we've learned it throughout, but it's, it's succinctly put in the five articles of the remonstrance. If you don't remember what that is, those are the, the five points that the followers of Arminius put together to summarize what we now call Arminianism. And so Article 1 is all about conditional election. Remember, Arminians, they believe in election. We believe in election too, but they believe in conditional election. It's where God, before the foundation of the world, he determined that he was going to save certain people, but he's going to save people who were foreseen to believe of their own free will. So really, he's choosing those who chose him first. And this is a conditional election. Article 2 is therefore or is next about conditional atonement. That's where Jesus died to make atonement for everybody. But the only people who actually receive the benefits are those who choose to believe of their own free will. So again, the atonement is conditioned on man's free will choice of faith. Election is conditioned on man's free will choice of faith. The atonement is conditioned on man's free will choice of faith. And then Articles 3 and 4 are all about conditional grace. Conditional election, conditional atonement, conditional grace. God's grace is needed to be saved. But, you know, God has given this prevenient grace to all people. Therefore, saving grace, receiving saving grace, that that special grace you need, that too is now conditioned behind your free will choice to believe. God's not going to give you that. You have to come take it. You have to enter it. And so in all aspects, entering into the state of salvation is entirely conditioned on man's free will choice of faith. Now, so where do you think this leads when it comes to staying in the state of salvation? It's not surprising that is likewise conditioned on man's free will choice of faith. Although wrestling with the, the hard belief that conversion and regeneration and justification can be undone, Arminius and his followers were eventually forced to, to succumb to the logic of their system that they had to believe that you can lose and forfeit your salvation. You can fall from saving grace. And this is Article 5 of the Remonstrance. If you have in your notes, I'll read a little bit of, from, uh, of it for you here. Article 5, they say that those who are incorporated into Christ by a true faith and have thereby become partakers of his life-giving spirit have thereby full power to strive against Satan, sin, the world, and their own flesh and to win the victory. It being well understood that it is ever through the assisting grace of the Holy Ghost. That's all fine. Next, it says in that Jesus Christ assists them through his spirit in all temptations, extends to them his hand, So Jesus helps you to persevere. But look, I've underlined this for you. It says, and if only they are ready for the conflict and desire his help and are not inactive, he keeps them from falling. 
so that they, by no craft or power of Satan, can be misled, nor plucked out of Christ's hands according to the word of Christ. So, and they then cite that John 10 passage that no one can snatch you out of my hand. And they're like, if, unless you, basically, as long as you are willing, you can't be snatched. The only one that can take you out of his hand is, is you, in other words. It's conditioned on you. You have to persevere, otherwise you will not be kept in Christ's hands. This is conditional perseverance. And what's interesting, I didn't have this. You can look this up on your own, but I didn't reproduce it for you. But if you keep reading the full text of the five articles, as Article 5 continues, Arminius' followers left open the possibility that true believers, uh, true believers may not actually be able to lose their salvation. They expressed some doubt in Article 5, and they really left it up to the reader. Really, one of those, you know, let the readers decide in his full conscience, which just shows you they were really struggling with this last point. Can you really lose conversion, justification, regeneration? It just shows how much they wrestled with the inherent inconsistencies in their system. And that most would agree it's ludicrous to think that a person who's justified by God, supernaturally saved, transformed, made new, forgiven, adopted, you're a new creature, you can just lose all that because you, you want you, you fall away. That you just it's all can be just so easily undone based on your will. That is a, a big pill to swallow. But if Arminians are to uphold the supremacy of man's free will, it's an unavoidable conclusion. And so that is their conclusion, falling from grace. As you can imagine, this doctrine leads to no real assurance of salvation. The Arminian, like the Catholic, can have no real assurance of salvation. He can never be certain of his eternal security. He can feel really strong in the faith presently, like I really believe right now. But that can't give him any hope for tomorrow because he doesn't know if a week, a year from now, he will change. Something will happen to him. A loved one will die. He will fall away. He has no idea whether he will continue to be willing to believe in the future. And since it's not up to God's will, it's up to his will to keep him in the faith. He can have no meaningful eternal security and no real assurance of salvation. In Arminianism, a believer's security in the faith is only as strong as his own will and his determination. And if you know anything about man's will, it's, it's not a strong force. Now let's move into falling from grace supported. Why do they believe this? What, what kind of support they give for it? And I've already alluded to the fact that this is really mostly a logical conclusion. They were forced here. But they do try and back it up in a few ways. So let's survey quickly some of the main lines of support they give for this notion of falling from grace, the ability to fall from grace. First, they point to some apostasy warning passages in Scripture. Now, there are actually no passages in the Bible which directly teach believers can lose their salvation. And there are no examples of anyone who was elect and lost their salvation. But there are a few verses which seem to warn believers against falling away from the faith. And Arminians reason that these warnings are not just hypothetical, they're actual. In other words, these warning passages about falling away imply it's actually possible for believers to fall away from the faith. Now, we'll actually 
You have four main verses here. We will look those up shortly when we talk about, you know, really the critique of them for the sake of time. So we'll come back to these four verses. We'll look at them all in a, in a second here. But these are the main passages they will typically cite as proof texts as to that you can lose your salvation. We will come back to these, so just hold that thought. Secondly, perseverance passages. Another line of support. Perseverance passages. There are many verses which teach that believers must persevere in the faith to the end to be saved. And they again reason that the mere presence of these commands to persevere implies that true believers can fail to persevere. In other words, be lost. The fact that we're told, like Jesus said in Matthew 10.22, the one who endures to the end will be saved, means if you don't, you won't. You can be a believer now, but if you don't endure until the end, you won't be saved. And from that, they reason believers, even true believers, can not can lose their salvation if they fail to persevere. So you have passages like Hebrews 3. In fact, why don't you turn to Hebrews, because we'll be in Hebrews a lot tonight. Hebrews 3. There are many more examples than I included in your notes, but like Hebrews 3.6, for example, says, that Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Those who are the household of God are those who hold fast their confidence and hope until the end. It's a clear statement on perseverance. Same for verse 14. It says, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So pretty simple and clear statements of the need to hold fast the faith until the end. Same with Hebrews 10.36. It says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Only those who persevere unto the end will be saved, like Matthew 10.22 says. And 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And there are more verses. Uh, Just the point that they're making is, all the passages where we are commanded to persevere imply that, well, we cannot persevere, we can fall away, even true believers, they would argue. Lastly, A third support is the problem with eternal security. The problem with eternal security. This really comes with a critique they have of the Calvinist view. Now Calvinists, we'll learn mostly next week, believe in eternal security. Meaning that true believers, the key word being true, true believers can never lose their salvation. And we'll find that next week. This view, though, is often referred to as, or at least sometimes referred to as, you know the slogan? No. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Now, Arminians are quick to object to this, teaching that if that's true, that's going to lead to just a whirlwind of unholy living and licentiousness, where Christians would lose all motivation to persist in holiness and obedience. And they, they, they depict the Calvinist view like, you're a Calvinist, you get saved, you believe in God and all that. Now you're saved, you've got your ticket to heaven. 
Once saved, always saved. And you can do whatever you want. You can sin as much as you want. You can even fall away from the faith and stop following Christ. But hey, once saved, always saved. That's clearly not true in Scripture. That there's no concept of a, a Christian in the New Testament who is living in such sin. But they believe that's clearly the implication of once saved, always saved. And so in their mind, they, they rightly reject eternal security because that there's no way it could lead, you know, you could have such a believer. Or in other words, since there's no concept of such an unholy, faithless Christian, Arminians reject the belief that produces them, which is, in their mind, eternal security. It's just they build up this argument against Calvinists and just, for, in their mind, write it off because it's ludicrous to think once saved, always saved. You can do whatever you want. Now, these are some of the main lines of support you'll hear and read in Arminian teachings about why they believe you can fall from grace. At the same time, though, I think Arminius and his followers were right to wrestle with this doctrine because it's not supported in Scripture. And I think it really betrays the problems in their system that they were having a hard time coming to grips with the reality that you can lose justification and regeneration the new birth can be lost it's not it doesn't make sense it's not meant to make sense it goes against so much of the teaching of the new testament it stands in direct opposition to the clear teaching of scripture we will see next week the whirlwind of passages that that teach the opposite that's that's why they were feeling the rub because there's so many verses that seem to say otherwise we'll see those an overwhelming case can be made for the perseverance and preservation of the saints by God. And really, the notion of falling from grace comes from logic. And this is just another example in Arminianism where human reason is inserted to keep the system together, all of which goes back to defending and upholding their chief operating principle, which is what? The free will of man. That's the overriding principle that it all comes back to. And this, this has to be true to uphold and defend the libertarian free will of man. So, what's interesting... Oh, wrong page in my notes. Now, the, the reasons Arminians give for supporting falling from grace and, and falling short uh, of salvation... That's not right in my notes... Okay, I was missing a page. We shall carry on. Now, let's, let's go into some of the reasons we would object and, and our kind of counter reasons that where we see their reasons as falling short. They give these three main reasons. We'll see how their three main reasons fall short and add a few more reasons as to why we're not convinced by this position of falling from grace. Now, first, let's go back to those apostasy warning passages that we skipped over. Now we'll look at them. If you want, you can turn to Galatians 5 here. We'll come back to Hebrews in a second. These are simply misinterpreted, and let's, we'll cover them now with, with the time we have. There's no doubt, Scripture gives clear warning to believers against the peril of falling away. We believe that Calvinists accept these warnings at face value. But you have to remember, these warnings are directed at professing believers who may or may not be genuinely converted. And so the mere fact that the Bible warns people against falling away, that doesn't prove that it's possible for the elect to fall away. 
Where is the clear passage that says the elect can fall away? That the, the true born-again believer who's elect can fall away? There, there are none. The best they have are these passages, which we're going to look at, but we'll see they've been misinterpreted, and let's do that now. Galatians 5.4. In the context, we'll start in verse 1, if you're there, Galatians 5.1. He says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So there's that little phrase at the end. They've fallen from grace. And Armenians will typically pick up on that phrase and say, there, there you have it. There's an example where the Bible even says these people have fallen from grace. Now, this one is humorous and easy to deal with. This is, if you ever see in an Arminian writing, they point to Galatians 5.4 as an example of losing salvation. Do you know right away they're doing what's called proof texting, which is where you go to a passage, you pluck it entirely out of its context, and then you make it mean something it doesn't mean. This phrase where he says they've fallen from grace, he actually has nothing to do with the whole topic of perseverance or eternal security. So let me explain. And you just read the context yourself. What is Paul dealing with here in Galatians 5? He's dealing with those, these Judaizers, who have abandoned the truth of justification by grace for justification by the works of the law. That, that's his whole theme in Galatians, that he's arguing for justification, right standing with God, by grace through faith, alone, apart from the works of the law. But these Judaizers were reverting back to justification through the law. And so when he says in verse 4, those who are seeking to be justified by the law, and he says they've fallen from grace, he's making simply a play on words, going back to his lengthy contrast between law and grace. Doesn't Paul do that all the time, the contrast between law and grace? He's not teaching that they've fallen from a state of grace. Rather, those who seek to be justified by the law in any way, they've fallen away from the truth of justification by grace. That's all he's saying. And that's precisely what the Judaizers were doing. They claimed to believe in God's grace, but in keeping the law as a requirement for justification, namely circumcision, remember the beginning of the chapter, they'd fallen from grace, meaning they'd fallen away from the true understanding of justification which is not by law, it's by grace. You insert law, you've lost salvation by grace. He's, he's saying nothing about the status of their individual salvation. It has nothing to do with the doctrine of perseverance or security. It has to do with the definition of true justification. And so honestly, this one, you just write it off immediately. It has no bearing on the whole debate. And it, it's, if you see an Arminian use this verse... It's a proof text. They're grasping at straws. Yeah, that phrase, fallen from grace, is in there. But that doesn't mean the Bible teaches you can fall from grace. You know what phrase is in the Bible? The phrase, there is no God, is in the Bible. Of course, it comes in a context where it says, what is it, Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, 
there is no God. But you see, we can't just take phrases out of their context and make them mean something else. And that's what Galatians 5.4 is all about. Now, 2 Peter 2.20 through 22. I'll just read that for you quickly. Speaking of false teachers, that Peter is teaching against false teachers. And he says, If after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. Now, this passage really, he's talking about false teachers, and there's not much of a debate here. Calvinists take this at face value. These are false teachers, but nothing in this passage says that they were truly converted. The Bible talks about false converts all the time. And the, Christ himself taught the reality of people who were in the faith by profession, but were not genuinely converted. And that's all we have here in Second Peter. These were false teachers who had come close to Christ. They had drawn near to the things of the Lord. And some of them even experienced character reform. Just as someone going to an AA meeting might experience character reform. Doesn't mean they were born again, though. And later, they turned away. They turned back to their old ways. That was really the proof that they were never born again to begin with. They never knew Christ. So really, all this passage is talking about is people like Judas. And we would argue Judas was never saved. That Christ himself proved that. That he associated with Christ. Judas did. But Jesus himself referred to him as a son of perdition. He was never a child of God. He always was a son of perdition. A false convert. And when he fell away, like when these false teachers fall away, that says nothing about whether or not a true believer can fall away. It merely says a professing believer can fall away, but that's not the debate. We all believe that anyway. So again, Second Peter, that passage really has no bearing on whether or not a true believer can fall away. Now we got to turn to Hebrews 6. This is clearly the, certainly the biggest passage to contend with. So go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. This is the most significant warning passage in the whole Bible. Let's read it through and then talk about it. It's just the, the time we have here. We've got a ways to go. Let's keep going. Verse 4, Hebrews 6 verse 4. He says, In the case of those who have once been enlightened... And have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So this passage, Christians are warned against falling away and in verses 4 and 5, they're warned using four aorist participles, just four phrases. How are these people described? He says they have once been enlightened. They have once, or they have tasted of the heavenly gift. They have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, the interpretive challenge in this passage first is to determine, does the author of Hebrews Think of these people as true believers or merely professing believers. Does he think these are elect 
born-again believers, or are they just professing believers? That's you got what you have to wrestle with. Now, the Arminian will take, no doubt, these are genuine believers, and they have fallen away. So, case closed. Proven. These are true believers, and they've fallen away. But not so fast. Let's look into this. You actually find Calvinists on both sides, meaning some will think these are just professing believers. Some will say, no, these are actually genuine believers, but it still doesn't teach they can lose their salvation. So, let me just expose you to both views. It's all we can do for the sake of time. Now, there are those, like Calvin himself, who believe that the people in this passage being described are not genuine believers. They're merely professing believers. These are people who have likewise, they've come close to Christ. They've approached the things of the Lord. They've come up to the gate of the kingdom. They haven't quite stepped through. They're like the seed on the rocky soil or the thorny soil. They appear to receive the word with gladness and they even spring up but they bear no fruit. They give some appearance of salvation, but over time it becomes clear that they're not, and they eventually fall away. These people gain some knowledge of the truth and the gospel and, and professed it, but they later fell away. You might note that this group is never described of as in, in terms of the elect, like they're never called holy, they're never called saints, they're never described as in Christ. So some of the key terms the Bible uses to refer to true believers. And so in this case, the author of Hebrews, if these are not true believers, if these are just professing believers, here's the point of this passage. The author of Hebrews would be arguing that certain people who have come so close to Christ as to fully understand the gospel and even reform their character, but then reject Christ and fall away, they'll become so hardened in their unbelief that it's impossible for them to be renewed to true repentance and to be saved. They, they become hardened, given over to unbelief, and they'll never be saved. If these are not true believers, that's what this passage would be saying. And if that's the case, that's fine, and this would have no bearing on whether or not a true believer can lose their salvation. So it's kind of like the previous passages. If this is just a professing believer, we all believe professing believers can fall away. It's not saying anything about whether or not a genuine believer can fall away. So it's not supporting the Arminian case. Now at the same time, there are some even Calvinists who believe, actually this passage seems to be describing born-again believers. Why is that? Well, you look at the four terms we talked about, and they're all used elsewhere of new birth. They're all used elsewhere in connection with Genuine salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, having once been enlightened, that word is used of new birth elsewhere. Having tasted the heavenly gift, having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Some of this verbiage, you can make the case both ways, but some Calvinists will say, you know what, let's just take those at face value. These people were truly saved. These were genuine believers. Now, if that's the case, though, you have to consider the context of Hebrews in this passage. Remember, the audience of Hebrews was Jewish Christians, Jews who had converted to Christ. Many of them, though, were, they were immature in the faith, and they were facing intense hardship and persecution because now they become Christians. When they were Jews, it was fine, but now that they're Jewish Christians, they're getting it from all sides, persecution for their new faith. And so the temptation was great for them to just revert back to Judaism. That's the book of Hebrews. He's writing to talk to many of those people saying, there's nothing left for you back in Judaism. If you abandon Christ, you have nothing. 
And so the point the author of Hebrews is making is that if any of them who are now in Christ, if they ever did leave Christ and they return to a Christless Judaism, they would be forsaking the only means of salvation. It would be impossible for them to be saved, to repent and be saved. Because apart from Christ going back to Judaism, there's no salvation. So that would be the point the author of Hebrews would be making. Then, in this case, this passage is about the impossibility of salvation apart from Christ. Now that such a true believer could fall away, though, the Calvinists would argue that this is, that's just a hypothetical reality. That, that the author of Hebrews is bringing this up as a hypothetical to make the point that a, a Christless Judaism can't save. This may be signaled by the fact that the author switches from the first person early on, like us, to the third person in verse 4, that he's talking about this hypothetical group of people who are truly saved but then fall away. And so some Calvinists, therefore, take this passage as a serious and stern warning to true believers against falling away without actually saying if it's possible or not. It's just this is a face value, a strong warning. If you fall away, you're lost forever without saying if that's possible or not. If it's actually not possible, though, then why would God give such a warning? If it's not possible for a true believer to fall away, well, what's the value of such a warning then? Well, here, Spurgeon himself would point out that warning passages like these are actually God's, they're some of God's appointed means for helping believers persevere in the faith. That warning passages like these strike a holy fear into the hearts of true believers to propel them on to persevere. As we'll learn next week, God preserves us in the faith, but you know how he does that? Through our perseverance. He enables us to persevere. So they're both true. You must persevere to be saved. God preserves us by enabling us to persevere. And Spurgeon would argue one of the ways God does that is by these warning passages to strike a holy fear that if you fall away, you will be lost. So you better not be one of those who fall away. In reality, those would be false believers, not genuine converts. But this would be one of the means God uses to propel the genuine believer Onward, In that case, it would make uh, perfect sense. Either way, though, whichever way you take the passage, you don't have an example here, a statement that elect believers can fall away. At best, a hypothetical. And so that would be the Calvinist answer to the Hebrews 6 passage, which Arminians take in many cases for granted. Uh, but this is sim- may simply be speaking of false professing believers, or rather a strong warning designed to produce perseverance apart from this passage that's that's it i mean hebrew 6 is a passage it's the most significant of them all it can be answered but that's it there, there's no other passages now hebrews 10 you can do for the sake of time the exact same arguments apply to hebrews 10 so everything we just said about hebrews 6 the exact same things apply to hebrews 10 it's really the same case so for the sake of time here we won't get into that but in all there are no direct statements in scripture saying that true believers can lose their salvation, and there's no examples. Professing believers surely can apostatize and fall away, but that says nothing about the security of true believers. And it would be appropriate for God to warn all Christians against falling away, even if it's impossible for the true believer, because again, that's one of the ways he ensures the true believer will persevere.
in all, though, when it comes to this Arminian belief, it's kind of like conditional election. If you remember back to their views on conditional election, there's no verse that teaches conditional election. It's put together by other logical beliefs. There's no flurry of passages that teach it. Well, so it goes here for this conditional perseverance, for falling away, that true believers, the elect, can lose their salvation. There are no passages on it. It's, it's just a logical necessity. We will find the waterfall of biblical support next week when it comes to the doctrine of God's preservation, that he sovereignly preserves the elect, that they can never be lost, those who are genuinely saved. We'll see the overwhelming biblical support for that next time. Here, there's nothing more to say. There's no more verses they, they really use. Let's talk about a few more points here briefly to, to end it up. A few more reasons we would take issue with this doctrine of falling from grace. Now, going back to their second reason of these perseverance passages, we would say that these pose no problem. Simple as that. Calvinists have no problem with the big deal Arminians make out of the need for perseverance. Because, you know what? We believe that too. We'll see again. I know I keep saying that, but we'll see that next week. But scripture is filled with serious calls for believers to persevere in the faith and endure. And we take those plain and simple, face value. Really, the logical failure Arminians make is to assume that since believers can fail to persevere, that means they can lose their salvation. But they're failing to just put together that all the calls in Scripture to persevere are giving to professing believers. And for a professing believer to fall away, that says nothing about eternal security. Just understand this. There's a difference in Scripture between a profession of faith and the possession of faith. They're not always the same thing. There are many who profess faith. But Christ himself said that many of those people will, Matthew 7, 21 and following, they'll be kicked out, cast out of the kingdom, barred from the kingdom on the day of judgment because they professed faith, but they did not possess faith. And so the fact that people who profess faith fail to persevere, okay, well, that, that's because they, we would say they were never born again. And we'll prove that next week. But the fact that they failed to persevere says nothing about whether someone who truly possesses faith can fall away. Does that connect? You get that? Again, Armenians fail to take into account the weight of Scripture, which teaches to the contrary, that those who don't merely profess, but who actually possess true faith, Scripture directly teaches they can never fall away. They will be preserved. And the reason for that is found in the sovereignty of God who preserves them to the end. Yeah, you must persevere. We take perseverance passages at face value. Only those who persevere to the end will be saved. But Scripture also teaches that. Why is it that you persevere to the end and are saved? Well, because behind the scenes, God is preserving you. He's holding on to you. And that's why you can never let go. Now, you must hold on to him, but it's his power that keeps you in the faith. It's his will that keeps you in the faith, not your own. Again, that's the fundamental distinction. Whose will is in charge here? And scripture says, God's from start to finish. Then number three, eternal security does not lead to licentiousness. That word just means just unholy living. You remember again, they, they said, 
you know, if, if once saved, always saved is true, then that means people are going to just claim Christ and then live however they want and just leads to just unchecked sin. And that's clearly false. So this, this whole doctrine must be false. But this argument is based entirely on a caricature of Calvinism. This is not real Calvinism. No Calvinist believes that the slogan, once saved, always saved, gives the believer free reign to sin. No real Calvinist believes that. To the contrary, Calvinists teach that the true believer will display the reality of his new birth by not continuing in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. The professing believer who does otherwise merely reveals he was never born again to begin with. No Arminians who have a lower view of God's grace, they really find themselves here making the same weak objection to salvation by grace as Paul encountered in Romans. There, some believe that, you know, if all this talk about salvation by pure grace is true, then it's going to lead people to just go off into sin. But Paul answered that objection in Romans 6. Remember when he said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? See, the true born-again believer will display that his new birth with new living, that he won't continue to live in unrepentant sin. And any Calvinist that teaches otherwise is simply in error and in disagreement with historic Calvinism. This is just a caricature, a straw man argument. No Calvinist believes that once saved, all is saved, can, can let you do whatever you want or lead to that. And along these lines, I find that phrase unhelpful. By the way, once saved, always saved, because it's incomplete. And that's why it breeds confusion. It's incomplete. It needs qualification. You might have a better term by, by adding to it. Because it is true that if you are truly saved, you will always be saved. That is true. But you might rephrase it, once saved, always saved, forever new. That the one who is always saved will be forever new. That they will display the fact that they're always saved by new life. Now let's add two more here real quick reasons why we object to falling from grace. Number four, falling from grace maligns the love of God. Maligns the love of God. This is kind of ironic because Arminians make such a big deal about upholding the love of God. But when you think about it, this whole notion that you can lose your salvation really slanders the love of God. How would you describe the love of a parent? Conditional or unconditional? All the parents in the room would say, unconditional. And that your love for your child is based simply on your relationship to the child, that you're a father or mother. That's it. It's not based on their performance. They could be a bad person. You would still love them. This is why you find, you know, a guy is a serial killer, but his parents are still visiting him and they still, they can't help it. They still love him. Or, you know, bad people, they're still loved by their parents. Well, it's just, that's just it. It's just a relationship love. It's unconditional but in Arminianism, God's love for his children is conditional. You have to keep yourself in his love by choosing to persevere in the faith. And if you fall away, he withdraws his love. He no longer has a, a special or a saving love for you. you. You'll find his wrath. You have to perform and persist to maintain God's love for you. And if any child of God falls short and falls away, God's love 
and salvation is, is withdrawn. What kind of fickle love is that? This problem is exacerbated when you understand the concept of adoption when it comes to salvation. Now, at salvation, believers are said to be adopted into God's family and made children of God. But if a person can lose their salvation, not only do you lose justification and regeneration and conversion and sanctification, remember we talked about? That means you also lose adoption. You are now unadopted from the family of God. And so you're kicked out of God's family. You go back to being a son of the devil. And what would you think of a parent who adopted a child and promised to unconditionally love them as if they were their own? That relationship can never be broken, father, son, mother, daughter, whatever. But then later, you just decide to reject them and disown them. You would think that's at least a terribly unloving parent. And so it is for the Arminian view of God, the fact that he could unadopt a child that has come to salvation and they're, they're in the kingdom, they're, they've been transferred, but, well, because they, they chose and he's going to respect their free will, well, okay, I'll let you go, I guess. If you really want to you know, jump back into the world, I'll let you go, but you're no longer my child. This is this fickle love that sounds like a human love, not divine love, because in Scripture, God's love is eternal, unchanging, everlasting. It's unconditional. And as we'll see next week in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Speaking of the elect, there's a direct passage that for the elect, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And the answer is nothing. It's unconditional. In reality, when it comes to the Arminian view, if they're correct, honestly, God would be more loving by killing people once they get saved. At least it eliminates the chance that they might fall away and go to hell. Wouldn't that be more loving? Yeah. At least that way you could guarantee their salvation. In fact, Armenians, they make such a big deal of God's foreknowledge. You know, he, he, he rules the world just by foreknowledge. That He looks forward. He knows what's going to happen. And so God knows some people will believe, but they will fall away and perish. He has foreseen that. So why doesn't God take that person, and once they believe, but before they fall away... Just kill them, spare them, so at least they go to heaven forever and not hell forever. He's not violating their free will. All he's doing is killing them and <laughs> taking them home. That would be the more loving thing to do, would it not? Yes. From a divine eternity perspective, it seems pretty clear. You know, these types of logical, fatal flaws and inconsistencies can never be answered in the system of Arminianism. It's just incoherent. Lastly, let's finish it up here. Number five, falling from grace leads to eternal insecurity. It's an eternal insecurity. And what I mean is this. On earth, according to their system, you can never have eternal security, which means you know you're secure. You're saved forever. You can't fall away. You can't lose your salvation. They can have no sense, not even an inkling of eternal security because it's based on their will. God's will has nothing to do with it. It's up to their will. Salvation is dependent on man's will. Falling away is dependent on man's will. So they don't know that at some point in the future, they may, something might change and they might fall away and, and lose life. So they cannot have eternal security while here on earth. Does that make sense? You understand that? Now, think about a person who, okay, they've died. They're saved. They go to heaven. They're in heaven. They're glorified. That person in heaven... Do they still have free will? 
The Arminian would say, yes, that's their whole system, right? They, they glorify free will. And even when you're in heaven, by definition, you still have to have the same free will. It's the power of contrary choice, libertine free will. You forever possess such a free will. But here's the problem. If you're that person in heaven, glorified, but you still have free will, what's to stop you from falling away in heaven? From no longer choosing to obey God and believe in heaven? What's to stop the glorified believer from falling from heaven like the fallen angels did, like Satan did? Does that mean at any point in heaven, you can lose glorification? Right? You could lose justification, sanctification, regeneration, so forth. This means you can even lose glorification like the fallen angels. They were glorified beings in God's presence. They rebelled. They fell. And so if the Arminian worldview is correct, that means not only do people lack eternal security here on earth, you will lack eternal security in heaven, which means you will never have eternal security. You will have eternal insecurity. You will never know, even a million years in heaven, whether or not some point you might still fall away and lose glory and forfeit glorification does that not rob the joy of heaven knowing that you might fall away and and then can anyone ever truly be said to possess eternal life and furthermore that's just not the picture of heaven the state of glorification is in scripture is eternal and unchangeable the inheritance we receive and our glorification is described as truly unchangeable unperishable, will never fade, will never change. This is not the picture of glorification. It's another one of those inconsistencies that can't be answered in a system that's full of holes. We could go on. That will suffice for now. Arminianism as a whole is a system built on a foundation of sand. And the higher up you get, the more shaky things become and that the foundation becomes apparent how loose it is. And when it comes to the eternal security of the believer, which is up there at the top of the system, you know, one of the final issues, even Arminians recognize the uneasiness of their own system. So it's kind of shaky up here. That's because the foundation is built on sand. There is no biblical concept of a sinner who is spiritually resurrected, supernaturally transformed, made alive, but then all that is lost You're not going to find any inkling of such a possibility in the New Testament. Yet this is what they must believe to uphold free will. They do so apart from direct biblical support. And they do so in the face of overwhelming support to the contrary. And that's what we're going to learn next time. The flood of teaching that the believer, the true believer, can never be lost the eternal security of the believer can be found now and later. And we'll look next time about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, which is the flip side of the preservation of the saints, how God works in and through us to keep us. And those who are his elect, he will never let go eternally. They are forever his. It's his eternal plan of salvation up to his will, past, present, future. And we'll see that next time. Oh, our time's up. A full lesson. Yeah, that was an hour. I told you. These final lessons, they'll be full. We've got a lot to cram in there. So we'll see you back next week for another full lesson on preservation and perseverance. Let's go ahead and pray. Our God, we glorify you tonight just for even coming close to the truths in your word about 
preservation. We know, Lord, that our salvation is not up to our will. Otherwise, we would never be saved because we would never choose to believe. We were so lost and dead and blind. But it's your will. By your will, we've been made children of God, John 1, 12 and 13 says. It's it's your will, and that's why it's your glory. At the same time, Lord, we glorify you that it's not up to our will to keep us in the faith. Because again, we would have lost our salvation many times if it was. No, None of us would be strong enough to keep ourselves in the faith, given the trials of life. But we can take delight and comfort knowing it's that too is by your will, that, that none can pluck us from your hand because of your sovereign power. It's, it's the power of the shepherd that secures us, not the power of the sheep. So we glorify you. We take delight in that and comfort already, even though there's more to come and study, and knowing that we are safe in the, the shepherd's fold and that none can, nothing can separate us from your love, which is a truly unconditional, eternal love. We thank you for this love, Lord, and, and we love you back. And purify our love for you, and may we glorify you with these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.